0: Well, hello everybody. It's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And at this point, I'd invite you, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is where we find ourselves today as we continue this series, Simply Jesus. And as you turn there, just one thing really quick as a total aside. You know, there is and continues to be, and in fact, we'll even talk about this a little bit today. There's a lot going on in our world right now. And one of the recent things that has been going on in our world right now is some conflict that probably you've seen in the Middle East. And as God would have it, uh, I'm doing this Roman study on Wednesday nights. And this Wednesday, actually, I'm going to be talking on Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, which is all about God's future plan for the people of Israel. And since it's right in line with what is going on right now uh, in this study, I'm also going to talk a little bit about how we think about as Christians, what is going on right now over in the Middle East and what our response to it should be. And so, if this sort of thing interests you, uh, the study will premiere this Wednesday night at 7 p.m., you can go to our YouTube channel or friends.church/romans in order to find that and then any time after that you can find that on our YouTube channel if you're interested in that okay but i just want to let you know about that because it's very relevant to what is going on here today with that then let's uh, today we're looking at this passage in Romans or not Romans sorry Matthew chapter ch- Matthew chapter 10 Starting in verse 16, and so here's what I want to do. I want to read this passage ahead of time, and then we'll pray, and then we'll see what what we have here today. So we'll also have these words on the screen if you want to follow along this way. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. This is what, I was about ready to say this is what Paul says. This is what Jesus says, okay? This is what he says. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you who is speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved." When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going throughout the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. And we'll stop right there. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, as we approach your word right now, and as we approach a topic and a passage, God, that I just believe has such relevance for us uh, as as to what we're going through right now, God, um, Father, I pray that you would give me right now just the words to say, and not only the words to say, but God, I pray that you'd also even give me the the manner, the tone in which to say it, Father. And as we explore, God, what your word says and how it intersects with um, our world right now, God. I pray, Father, that you would just give us insight that comes from you, from your Holy Spirit, who lives within us, who inspired this word, God, to, to, to know how to think about what is going on, and, and to know how to think about how to respond to it. And so, God, we give this time over to you, and we ask that you would be pleased. You, we ask that you'd be glorified in and through it. And we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, uh, as we begin here today, uh, just to be honest with you, this, this passage that we are looking at today is one that I have been looking forward to teaching for a very long time. And the reason why is because this passage gives us the opportunity to talk about some things that I think are especially relevant to what is going on in our world right now. A few years ago, I came across and I saved an article because it talked about a very interesting exchange that actually happened on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and I saw it as a sign of things to come, actually what we're kind of experiencing around us right now. And this article was originally written about three years ago. And three years ago, there was a man by the name of Russell Vaught. And Russell Vaught had been nominated by our previous president to head up the Office of Management and Budget in Washington, D.C. And this was, in order for him to be able to secure this position, uh, Vaught had to be approved by the Senate, which means that he had to face one of the Senate committees to to, to be interviewed by them. And Vaught was, he is, a, a very devout Christian. In fact, he graduated from Wheaton College in Illinois, a very conservative Christian school, And a few years before he had been nominated for this position, Vaught had written an article uh, that was published, and in this article, Vaught expressed his uh, views, his beliefs, that come from God's Word, that you can only be saved uh, with your faith in Jesus Christ, that there is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ, which is the teaching that we affirm here at this church. Well, during Vaught's nomination process, this this article that he had written, it became known to... And it really enraged one of the senators on this panel. And I feel compelled to say this is a senator who ended up running for president, though he did not win. But this senator could not believe that someone would state that at the end of time, you can only be saved if you put your faith in Jesus and that everybody else was going to be condemned. And so this senator just grilled and berated Vaught over his articles and over his views, and at one point, in fact, during this particular interview, he even sort of alluded to the, effect, the fact that, that he believed that Vaught was bigoted, even racist, because of what he believed. Well, needless to say, uh, the senator declared that he would not vote to approve Vaught. And when he was uh, kind of pressed on the reason why, really the only explanation that this senator could give was he didn't want to approve him because of his religious beliefs, The senator said, and I quote here, he said, this nominee is not really someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. And this article and uh, this senator's statements is very much in line with some recent conversations that I've been having with some of you. As as things have opened up again, and as I've had more meetings, I've I've had some more uh, conversations with, with some of you, and there's been a consistent theme in many of these conversations that I've had. And one of the consistent themes in these conversations that I had is a theme of concern. That there's a concern that some people are feeling right now about what might be called a changing tide in our nation towards us Christians and our beliefs. And I want you to let you know, to a certain extent, I, I see it too, and I feel it too. In my almost 40 years here on this earth, I have noticed a pretty rapid shift recently in how we Christians are being viewed by those who do not believe what it is that we believe. Now, make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, we have always viewed things differently than the rest of the world. And we have always believed things differently from the rest of the world. But one of the things that I have have noticed is that I think there used to be a time when uh, the the, the beliefs that we had that were different from the rest of the world's beliefs, even though the world didn't believe them, for the most part, they respected our beliefs. Or if they didn't respect them, at the very least, they tolerated our beliefs. But recently, it's just beginning to feel as though things are beginning to change a little bit. And it's beginning to feel as though, and I'm hearing from some of you, that in the eyes of many these days, what we believe as Christians actually cannot and it should not be tolerated. Increasingly, it seems that some of our beliefs on certain issues, they're not just being looked upon as old-fashioned or outdated, it seems as though our beliefs on certain issues are actually being looked upon by some as just downright dangerous, That by believing what we are believing and by practicing those beliefs, we Christians are actually preventing a more loving and a more accepting society from forming. Our beliefs are not just different. Our beliefs in some cases as Christians are downright dangerous in our day and age. And I think we're feeling that from a number of different areas. Never before in my life have I heard more stories of uh, broken families More stories of hostile work environments, more stories of strained and even broken friendships than I am hearing right now. It seems like in almost every front, we're facing a little bit of increased hostility because of our faith. And I know to many people, it has been shocking. And probably what has been most shocking is just how quickly it has seemed to happen. In some cases, it seems like just overnight, things have begun to change. But what I want to make clear to you here today is that actually if we are experiencing the the beginning of something here in the United States, uh, it should not shock us because what we might be at the threshold of experiencing right now is what God's people have experienced in much more intense ways throughout history from the very first days of our faith. And that is exactly what we see in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 10. Today in our Simply Jesus series, we're looking at the mission that Jesus gave his disciples and in turn the mission that Jesus gives you and me. One of the things that we believe very strongly in our faith is that our faith as Christians is not to be a private one. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we are called to not only share others about Jesus, but we are called just to live our faith on display. We cannot hide the fact that we are Christians. And in Matthew chapter 10 in our Bible, we could actually get one of the first glimpses of what that looks like and how to do that. Uh, the context for Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus is gathering his 12 disciples in front of him. And he's going to send them out for the very first time to tell others about the kingdom of heaven, to tell others about him. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives them instructions on how to do that and what to expect as they go out into this world. And by the way, it's very clear as you read through Matthew chapter 10, Jesus does not just have his 12 disciples in mind. There are several hints throughout this passage that Jesus has you and me in mind as well. He is thinking about anybody who will live for Jesus in this life. And the image that came to my mind as I read through this passage this past week is is really the image of of a general preparing his soldiers for battle, a general about ready to send his, his troops out into war. And if that sounds like too intense or too harsh of an image, I don't think it is. Because look at the image that Jesus himself uses at the very beginning of this passage, verse 16. Jesus says this to his disciples, and in turn to you and me, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And that is a very serious, that is a very sober image. You know, one of my biggest problems with modern day Christianity, and if you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about this before, but one of my biggest problems with modern day Christianity is I don't think we prepare Christians well enough for what they're going to face after they put their faith in Jesus. It's been my observation that some pastors, and I've probably been guilty of this before in the past, but it's been my observation that some pastors paint the Christian experience as like nothing but sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows everywhere. And some pastors seem to say, you know, if you put your faith in Jesus, all your problems are going to be solved. Well, I want to let you know that's not how even Jesus himself describes the experience of following after him. And that's what we see in this opening image here. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. I don't know if you know this, but wolves are among the most defenseless animals that God created on this earth. They're also among the stupidest too, but that's another message for another time, okay? But, but she, did I say wolves, I meant sheep. Sheep are among the most defenseless animals that God created here on this earth. The only defense that a sheep has is really to run away, which means that if a sheep is ever cornered by a, a, a wild animal, especially an animal as ferocious as a wolf, it, it is done for. It is outmatched. And what Jesus says at the beginning of this passage is that as we go into this world to live as Christians, that is like what we are. We are like sheep among wolves. As we live our faith for Jesus in this world, we are like defenseless animals among ferocious predators. This is not a reassuring image. And yet it does reflect the reality of the situation. In fact, it goes back to what I talked about a few weeks ago when I introed my message on the Sermon on the Mount. And I talked about how there are two kingdoms the only two kingdoms in this world that someone can be a part of. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. That's it. And we followers of Jesus, we who are a part of the kingdom of God now, we cannot overstate how much those from the kingdom of Satan deep down hate us. And throughout the centuries, our brothers and sisters in Christ have seen that. And they have seen the extent to which those from the kingdom of Satan will go to attack and even in some cases eliminate those of us who are a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself predicts that sort of attack. He predicts that hostility. In fact, Jesus goes on in this passage to talk about three different groups of wolves, three different groups of people that we will, uh, who will oppose us in the Christian faith. The first group that Jesus mentions are those from the, a false religion. This is what Jesus says in verse 17 when he says this. He says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And obviously, with the mention of synagogues here, in its immediate context, what Jesus is referring to is, is the persecution that the disciples experienced right after his death and resurrection. And indeed, the first people to attack are brothers and sisters in Christ. The first Christian martyr, the first person to lose his life for Jesus, a man by the name of Stephen, who was he attacked by? He was attacked by those from the Jewish faith, the so-called religious authorities of the day. You can read that in Acts chapter 7. And the same thing still occurs today. What I'm about to say is not very politically correct, but I think it's true and I think it needs to be said. But every religion that does not proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord is ultimately a religion that belongs to our enemy. It belongs to Satan. And therefore, it is a religion that is used as a tool by Satan or can be used as a tool by Satan to go after us Christians. And we have seen that throughout history and and we see that even today. I don't know if you know this, but last year it is estimated that 2,200 Christians in Nigeria lost their lives, largely at the hands of of those who, who belong to the Muslim faith in Nigeria. In India right now, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being severely persecuted by those who belong to the Hindu faith. In the past, Satan has used those from the Jewish faith. He's used those from the Roman pagan religions. In fact, it really doesn't matter the religion, the target is almost always the same. It's us Christians. Sometimes the wolves will be those from from false religions. Sometimes Jesus says the wolves will be those in government. Sometimes entire nations will be opposed to us and what we believe. This is what Jesus talks about in verse 18 when he says this, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. First part of verse 19, but when they arrest you, stop right there. So sometimes the wolves will come from the government. And I know that this is what some Christians are fearing right now in the United States, but just to put things in perspective for you, what we may be going through right now or beginning to go through right now in our country is nothing compared to what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through in other countries. I read just this past week that this month, the government in China effectively blocked and and, and outlawed the download of all Bible apps on phones and tablets from app stores. And they prohibited the sale of hardcover Bibles online. It is now essentially illegal to get your hands on a Bible in China. Once again, in India, in certain parts of India, they have what they call anti-conversion laws. And they're targeted at us Christians. And it is effectively illegal to try and convert other people to Christianity. If you get caught converting other people to Christianity, you can be thrown into jail. You can be thrown into prison. These are state-sponsored laws, state-sanctioned laws that, that are aimed at us Christians. Sometimes the wolves are found in government. And sometimes the wolves are found in our own families. Sometimes the fiercest opponents to what we believe as Christians are our moms and dads and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. This is what Jesus talks about in verse 21 when he says this, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And as I sort of alluded to earlier, I know some of you are experiencing some degree of this right now. As some of your family have made lifestyle choices that you can't support and you don't agree with. Some of you have been called horrible things, even by your children. You've been opposed by those in your family. God's people have always been under attack, men and women. If we have experienced some relief in that in the United States over the past 250 years, that's the exception, not the rule. If we are beginning to feel some of that right now, it shouldn't surprise us that it's happening. I think it more should surprise us that it's taken so long. Because really, in the Bible, we are promised opposition. We are promised attack. Let me share with you this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, I read some of those promises of God books that you all like to buy. That verse right there is usually not included in it. And I don't know why it's not any less promise than anything else in the Bible. We will be attacked because of what we believe. But here's what we need to realize, okay? We are actually not the ultimate target of the attacks around us. No, the battle that is going on around us is actually a battle that is as old as time. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We are merely the chess pieces in, in this battle. The one that people actually are targeting, the one that people actually hate, is our Lord. It's Jesus himself. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 22 when he says this. He says, you will be hated by everyone. And I want you to underline this next phrase, because of me, literally, uh, be in my name. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, Jesus says. The one that people ultimately are targeting and the one that people ultimately hate is Jesus. But wait, that doesn't make sense. I thought that everybody out there loves Jesus. In fact, is it usually the accusation against us Christians that we're not enough like Jesus, and and that's the problem? I thought everybody loves Jesus. This past week, I was reminded of the quote by Gandhi, where he said this very famously, "'I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ.'" And that's usually how it goes, right? That's the attack against us. You know, you you, you Christians are so unloving, but Jesus was so loving. Jesus was so accepting, but you Christians are so rejecting. Jesus was so tolerant, but you Christians are so intolerant and narrow-minded. And that's usually how it goes. But here's what we need to understand, okay? The, The Jesus out there that everybody loves, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the real Jesus. It's a caricature of Jesus. Because remember what happened to the real Jesus. What what happened to the real Jesus here on this earth? We have reminders of it all over this building. What happened to the real Jesus? He was killed. And he wasn't killed because everybody loved him. He wasn't killed because he got along with everybody. No, he was killed because people hated him. And they hated him because he said things that they didn't want to hear. He spoke the truth, truth about sinful humanity, truth about God, and and truth about what would happen to those who weren't aligned with him. And that made people upset. And Jesus knew it was gonna make people upset. In fact, look at what Jesus says down in verse 34 of this passage. Look at here, Jesus says this. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We don't really need Jesus's help for that, by the way. Verse 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, I want you to look back on verse 34 again. We'll put it on the screen. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And really what that means is, but division. I haven't come to bring peace, but I've come to bring division. Can we put verse, oh, it's right there at the beginning. Okay, yeah. So, I've come to bring division to the earth. Now, here's what's interesting about that verse, okay? If I were to put that verse on a piece of paper, and I didn't say who said it, And I were to give it to a hundred random people, maybe even a hundred random Christians, and I were to ask, who do you think said this quote? I don't think the first instinct of many people would be to say Jesus. I think instead people would say, oh, some politician said that. Didn't I hear that in the last election? Or no, it was Napoleon or Churchill, one of those two. They said that, right? No, Jesus said it. And the reason why Jesus said it is because he knew that his teaching was not going to win friends and influence people. He knew that his his teaching was going to divide people. Because it was going to make people upset. And by the way, it still does that today. If you have been following along in my Roman study, you would have seen that the second week I talked about how I, I believe if Jesus were on this earth, he would absolutely, unapologetically... Hold and teach the traditional view of marriage being between one man and one woman. No exceptions to that. And I also talked about how I believe Jesus would come out strongly against the current transgender movement. Though he would absolutely have compassion on those struggling with it. I don't think Jesus would be accepting of it. I think he'd call it what it is. Sinful. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when I did the Sermon on the Mount, you would have heard Jesus' teaching on divorce and how radical Jesus' teaching on divorce is in our world, even in some circles of the church. Remember what Jesus says on divorce? He says, if anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, he has made her the victim of adultery. And if anybody who marries a divorced woman, he has committed adultery, talk about ruffling some feathers. I even think Jesus is teaching on money, Jesus is teaching on lust, Jesus is teaching on loving our enemies. It would make some people upset today. In fact, I was thinking about it this past week. I think if Jesus were invited to speak in some churches today, I don't think he would be invited back to guest teach again. I think he'd be seen as too offensive. I think he'd be seen as making too many people upset. I cannot imagine the emails that Jesus would receive in our day and age. Jesus, you need to tone it down a little bit. Jesus, you need to loosen up a little bit. Jesus, do you really want to call them wolves? We may have some non-Christians in the audience and we don't want to offend them. How about this? I send you out as sheep among golden retrievers. Doesn't that sound a lot better? No, Jesus offended people. That's why they killed him. And do we, his followers, think that we deserve to be treated any differently? Jesus himself says no. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says this, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers, and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. And the point that Jesus is making here is this, he's the teacher, we're the students, he's the master, we're the servants. And if the teacher was called names, Beelzebub is like another name for Satan. If the master was mistreated, do we, the students, do we, his servants, think that we deserve any better than that? No, it's what Jesus says in verse 22. Everybody hated me, and so they're going to hate you as well. And we need to remember that. You know, if I can say it, one of my biggest frustrations over the course of the past year is that as all these social issues came up in our world, it seemed to me that some Christians, some in the church, seemed to take their cues in how to respond to those issues more from the world around us than we did from God's Word. And part of my fear is that at least part of the motivation for that is some Christians wanted to be accepted and liked by the world around us, and we wanted to be looked upon as hip and relevant and whatever buzzword you want to use today. But may I remind you, brothers and sisters, our our job as Christians is not to seek the approval of the world around us. Our job as Christians is to please God. And as we please God, we sometimes are going to make the world out there very upset at us and they're going to hate us. We don't seek that. That's not our goal. It just happens. How's that for an evangelistic message? Put your faith in Jesus and everybody will hate you. I don't think a lot of people would raise their hands, would they? But it's what Jesus says. And honestly, maybe we need to start saying it too. Especially since Jesus seems to indicate in this passage that our commitment to him in the face of opposition is an indication of whether or not we are truly saved. That's what verse 22 says in its entirety. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And admittedly, there's a couple of different ways to interpret that last phrase there, but I think the the most straightforward one is is the surface-level interpretation. And what Jesus seems to indicate there is our commitment to Him in the midst of opposition is a sign of whether or not we have truly put our faith in Him. We will face opposition in this world, and we need to be prepared for that. But that raises the question, right? How do we be prepared for that? Or, or asked another way, if that's the reality of the situation around us, well, then how do we respond to that situation? Well, there's a few things that need to be said. First of all, we need to realize though the world may hate us. We do not hate them. It's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We love our enemies, and we pray for those who persecute us. We do not hate the world around us. We love them. And in a moment, I'll talk about what real love, I think, looks like according to Scripture. So that's the first thing. Second thing, we need to realize that our mission doesn't stop. We are still sent out into this world. Despite the danger that Jesus knew was out there, he still sent his disciples into this world, and we're still sent as well. But in addition to that, there are actually in this passage a few guidelines, a few instructions that Jesus gives us for how we are to carry the message of Jesus to others. And so very, very quickly here, I want to share these with you. There are three in total. The first one is this, and this may be a little bit surprising that the first thing that Jesus says is he says we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning with whom and where we share the gospel. This is what Jesus says when he continues on in verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, he says, be as shrewd as snakes. So the first instruction that Jesus gives us is we are to be as shrewd as snakes. Now what exactly does that mean? I think Jesus explains himself in verse 33 when he says this, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. And I think that phrase explains the shrewdest snakes. You see, snakes, one of their natural defenses is when they sense danger, they like to get out of the way. You've seen this. If you walk the trails around your Belinda before, as you walk down them, you can literally hear the snakes slither into the bushes. A snake will only strike as a last defense when it's caught off guard. A snake's natural inclination is to get away from danger. And that's what Jesus is telling us that we can do as well. If we know that we're in a place where the gospel is going to be hostile to us, we actually have the freedom by Jesus to leave that place, to look after our welfare, to protect ourselves. We are to use discernment with whom and where we share things. Practically speaking, what I think this means is that if you're in a work environment, for example, that has been very hostile to you in your faith, I think Jesus gives you permission to leave that. You've shared your faith. It hasn't been met well. You can wipe the dust off your feet and go to another place. There's no virtue in staying there. Similarly, some of you are in families where when you came to Christ, you started to receive abuse because of your coming to Christ. I think Jesus gives you permission in that situation to leave. You have a new family now, a family of God. Your earthly family has rejected your faith, and so you don't have to stick around. And we find this principle all throughout the Bible. This is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, don't throw your pearls to pigs or gifts to dogs, what is sacred. Otherwise, they may trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. There are some people who we know will not accept the gospel message. Jesus says we actually don't have a responsibility. If they're gonna respond violently or with abuse to us, we don't have a responsibility to share it with them. That's the first thing. But then the second thing that Jesus says is this. We, We need to make sure that, that what people are rejecting is actually our message. That's what you see as you continue, continue on in verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes. And the next thing he says is this, and as innocent as doves. So there's the second thing. Not only are we to be discerning, but we are also to be innocent. And in context, what does that mean? Well, if I could put it in one phrase, I'd put it like this. What Jesus is telling us here is he's telling us that if we are to offend people, we need to make sure that people are offended by our message and not by our behavior. We need to make sure that people are rejecting our message and what we say, but not how we say it. You see, here's the deal, and all of us know people like this, but here's the deal. There are some Christians who are just plain disagreeable. And there are some Christians who are just plain a pain to be around. And they end up alienating everybody around them. And they think they're alienating everybody around them because they're sharing the the truth. And no, that's not the case at all. You're alienating everybody around you because you are just a chore to be with right now. And you argue with everybody. You see, we can have exactly the right message but say it in, in entirely the wrong way and it undoes everything that we're trying to be about. Or alternatively, we can have the right message. But if on the weekend we're getting drunk with our friends or we're cheating on our spouse or we're always arguing with people or the least generous people that we know, no one is going to listen to us. I will say this. I do wonder if at least a little bit of the hostility we are facing these days is that some Christians these days have just been really unpleasant to be around. We've been arguing with everybody. We've been mean. We've been angry. We've been angry and we would do well to remember what paul says in colossians chapter 4 verse 6 when he says that in our conversation we need to make sure our conversation is gracious and it's attractive so that we will have the right response for everybody gracious and attractive you should put that on your computer monitor before you post anything on social media okay is this gracious is this attractive If we want to make an impact for Jesus, the first thing we need to do is practice love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Our words are a witness for Jesus, but our lives are a witness for Jesus as well. So we need to be discerning, we need to be innocent, and the final thing that we need to be is we do need to be bold. That when God tells us to say something, we need to say it. That's what you see in verses 19 and 20. Jesus says this. He says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. And so here we're told that we need to say what God has called us to say. And, and by the way, there's a couple of ways to understand those couple of verses there. One is to understand it in a very mystical sort of way. That when we find ourselves in difficult situations, as though we enter into like a trance, and all of a sudden we are speaking, and we don't even know the words that we're speaking because God is speaking through us. And that's one possible understanding of it. I'm not entirely sure that's what Jesus means here. I'm not entirely sure it's the only thing that Jesus means here. As I read those couple of verses, I'm also reminded of uh, John chapter 14, where God tells, tells us, that Jesus tells us, that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the truth of Jesus. And I think maybe that's more what's going on. When we find ourselves in difficult situations, the Holy Spirit will bring a truth to mind, but then we have a responsibility to share that. This is one of the areas where, honestly, I admire my dad so much. My dad is not a pastor, just so you know. He's a a dentist, which is almost the same. We both cause about the same amount of pain from time to time. But my dad, I'll tell you what, he is someone, when he feels that God is laying something on his heart to share something with someone, he will say it. And he will talk about Jesus with even his closest friends who he knows it's going to lead to an awkward conversation or people are going to sort of brush it off. But my dad doesn't, it doesn't matter to my dad. He knows he has to say it and he's going to say it. And that's what we all need to do. Because it is the most loving thing that we can do. You know, our world has totally warped these days what love is. And it is said that love is acceptance. Love is just accepting people as they are. And that teaching I found has even seeped its way into the church. I just want to let you know that's not what love is according to the Bible. Love isn't accepting people as they are. Love is pointing people to Jesus. And love is helping people recognize their need for Jesus. And at the heart of recognizing your need for Jesus is recognizing your sin and recognizing your depravity and recognizing the judgment that you are headed for apart from Jesus in your heart. Think of it this way, if you see a a truck driving 100 miles down an hour down a road that has a, a dead end at a cliff, what's the most loving thing you can do for that driver? Not say to that driver, you do you, you know, I don't want to impose my beliefs about that cliff on you. No, what's the most loving thing you do? You warn them about the cliff. You try and do what you can to stop them. Brothers and sisters all around us, we have people who are headed for a cliff and they don't even know that it's there. And we have a responsibility to warn them. It's the most loving thing that we can do. And that's why, even despite the danger that Jesus knew was ahead of his disciples, he still sent them out there. You know, verse 16 is actually really striking. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Just so you know, no shepherd would do that. If a shepherd knew that there were wolves around, he wouldn't send his sheep out. And yet Jesus did, and Jesus does. Why? Because the mission is that important. And because we're the only thing that the world has. And I don't want you to miss that. We are the hope of the world. We are the only ones who know about the cliff that is up ahead. And if we don't share about Jesus, no one has any hope. And so no, our words will not always be met with favor. And yes, in these days, more people will reject us and more people will hate us and they will love us and accept us. But you know what we do? We still go. We still testify to the truth. We still call sin sin and we still call evil evil and we still share the hope of Jesus. Because you know what's so cool about what we believe? We believe that wolves can become sheep. I was once a wolf. So were you. But because of sheep who took seriously Jesus' call on their life, we became sheep. We were changed. And who knows who God wants to use in your life for you to change? That's why, as we close here right now, I want to share with you a video. I'm going to introduce you right now to a man by the name of Timmy. And Timmy attends his church. And Timmy was once a wolf. You'll see in this video, he was angry at God. He was angry at Jesus. But because of some faithful sheep here at this church, Timmy got changed. And I want you to watch and I want you to be inspired by his story. So turn your eyes to the screen.
1: Uh, It's to the right. And then a uh, left right here. You just like go up in here. I actually, I uh, started staying here as soon as they, uh, like actually right before they even opened. Yeah, so it was kind of rough because of the fact that like that is like the main place that like everybody used to go to and like try to sleep at because there's not really a lot of uh, places that they had opened at the time. This is originally where they found me. My childhood was, it was, how do I say it, a unique area of life. It started about like 7th or 8th grade. I just basically I was hanging around with the wrong people and basically they were influencing me into the wrong areas and unfortunately I was led to making decisions of my own that had consequences later on. I actually had to answer to the authorities because of that. I ended up doing some time, about I think it was about a month and a half. And unfortunately, uh, that's where it basically it, like created a downward spiral. After I got out of jail for that first uh, offense, basically uh, my mom didn't want me at home, my dad didn't want me at home, and I ended up uh, I ended up just living in the street. I unfortunately like I had to like go and look for food and you know looking for like you know different things that I need, and basically it, like became difficult. Every once in a while there was like a person that would come by and you know, actually like help me out.
2: That night it was about 7 p.m. and I was in Fullerton with my daughter and my son and our plan was just to go to Fullerton and drop off some food to the homeless community. And off to the side there was this Boys and Girls Club that uh, we would normally not visit but we saw someone sitting on the side of the building and it was Timmy. Right when we approached him, you could tell he was pretty angry and he wasn't just angry at the world, he was angry at God and he made that very clear. We asked if we could pray for him and I was surprised that he actually said yes. He allowed us to pray for him and we left expecting really to not hear back from him even though we had given him our contact information. And two months later, he gave us a call. I invited him to Friends Church at the Young Adult Ministry. He didn't have a way to get over here, so I think it was $12 to to get him an Uber over to Friends, and he loved it. He just started becoming a part of that ministry and started serving at our Sunday night services, and he was just able to be Timmy. He was able to be just another young adult amongst his peers.
1: Friends Church is very wonderful and inviting. Um, They have wonderful people. It's an exciting experience every time I go there because they all just welcome me with open arms and just basically uh, greeted me as best as they possibly could.
2: I think there's something powerful that happens when people are surrounded with a Christian community. They find hope where they didn't have hope before. Once he realized that he wasn't just that homeless individual that was on the streets, once he realized that he was a child of God just like everyone else, he started getting encouraged and he went out there and started applying for jobs, found a job, and through that job, it was life-changing. He was able to not only pay for rent, he was able to to buy a vehicle, to actually buy food for himself. Uh, So I, I really believe that time in that ministry was a catalyst that changed his life, but it all started with Jesus Christ.
1: Along the line, uh, God reached out to me and basically started shaping me and forming me into the man that I need to be, basically. Every single day is a struggle to be on that path, but it's a righteous path, and I'm glad that I'm on that path. I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Will you stand with me? Wasn't that an awesome story? That is why we do what we do. That's why even despite the potential hostility and, and opposition that we may get, that's what we do because it is only Jesus who can change a life like that. And so my question to you is, who's your Timmy? Who has God put in your path that he wants to use you to share the good news of Jesus with? And what's a step you can take this week towards it? Send him a text message, give him a call, invite them out to lunch, just begin praying for them. But how can God use you to to, to, to be in someone else's life, to begin the process of allowing God to use you to turn wolves into sheep? Yes, the world may be changing around us, but our mission is not changing. We are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world that desperately needs it. And so we go and we see what God will do with us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God, that you have called us as imperfect as we are, Lord, to carry out your message. God, I know these days it seems uh, perhaps in some ways harder than ever. But God, I also know that throughout your word, seasons of difficulty are actually when uh, seasons that you use as a catalyst to ignite our faith and and to give us the, the, the energy that we need and the motivation we need to see the world change, God. Your church grew under difficult circumstances, God. And there's no reason to believe that the same can't happen today. And so Father, our prayer is simple, God. Would you just use us? Would you use us in this broken world to share about you to share about what you have done through your son, Jesus, God. And would we begin to see the fruit and the results from that, Father. So God, give us discernment, give us boldness, give us a purity, God, in our our thoughts and words and deeds and action, Father. And we thank you in advance for the work that you're gonna do. And God, as we close with this final song, I just pray that it would come as an offering of really a prayer to you that says, Jesus, would you use me to do your work, Father? We love you, we thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name and all God's people said, amen.